We're going to start in John chapter 14. Verse 18. I appreciate Ethan teaching Sunday school this morning. We're doing our series on the armor of God. He talked about he talked about the shield of faith. Amen. And and uh, it was a wonderful lesson. It's been a wonderful study. And just encourage you to, to be part of Sunday school as we go through through this. I know the Lord's speaking to us. John chapter 14. Read with me verses 15 through 18. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. What a promise that the Lord makes right there in verse 18. That's going to be our focus. For today, the last scripture that we read, Jesus made two promises in verse 18. They're really one together, but two parts to this promise. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. You can't think of anything much better than that, can you? The Lord Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless and I will come to you. Well, what's about to take place at this point? And who, who's he talking to? Jesus is with his disciples. Then uh, John, uh, so much of the book of John is focusing on this last little bit of Jesus' life. In the Gospel of John, he talks so much about his deity of showing Christ as being the Lord. He begins his, his whole Gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John, more than any of the other Gospels, shows Jesus as being God in the flesh. It's a wonderful Gospel. It's a wonderful truth. And... Here he focuses so much of of the gospel of of John on the the last little bit, like I'm talking about from the the triumphal entry, okay, and and the Last Supper and the charge he makes to his disciples there, and then his death, burial, and resurrection. That last little, little few days, really, and and this is where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's about to go to the cross and die. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to be buried in a tomb and on the third day rise again. After he rises, he's going to do what? He's going to appear to his disciples for 40 days and then he's going to ascend to his father where he is now. He's coming back again someday. He's coming to rapture his church. He'll come in the clouds. His feet won't touch the ground at that time. We'll hear the shout of God, the archangel and the trump of God and we will be caught up instantly in a moment. Those that are saved they're truly born of the Spirit of God, will be raptured. Then he's coming again about seven years after that uh, for the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation for the second coming. But he's about to go away and he rises. After he dies and rises again, he ascends to the Father. That's where Jesus is. At the right hand of the Father, it says in Hebrews, until his enemies be made his footstool. Okay? He's at the right hand of the Father right now. And so. Jesus, and I'm just going to give you some of these scriptures, some will turn to you. I'll give you this one and I'll read it myself. John 16, 5 through 7. Jesus in the same thought, okay? Two chapters later, same thought, but now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me whither thou goest, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. And so, sorrow filled their hearts. These disciples, when Jesus told them, I'm going to go away, when Jesus says, I'm going to leave, 
I'm going to depart. I'm getting ready to leave. The Bible says, and Jesus said, sorrow filled your hearts, the, the, the disciples' hearts. That means grief, sadness, heaviness. Grief filled their hearts. And so they were overcome with the sadness because the Lord had said to them, I'm going away. I'm going to leave. I'm getting ready to depart and go away. Sorrow filled their hearts. They couldn't think of anything. And I I might be uh, uh, embellishing a little bit with this or injecting my own thought. But I I think at this point that the disciples that he's speaking to could not think of anything worse than the Lord going away. I mean, what, what could be worse? The Lord said He's going to away from us. The Lord said He's going to depart from us. We know Jesus said that sorrow filled their heart. Heaviness, grief filled their hearts. They couldn't think of anyone, anything worse than the Lord who they loved, who they believed to be the Christ, who they believed to be the long-awaited Messiah and Savior of the world, going away and not being with them. And they, they probably could not imagine in their minds uh, how they possibly possibly could be comforted in such a case. Because Jesus in the same context says, I will not leave you comfortless. So sorrows fill their heart. Sadness has filled the heart. The Lord's going away. And how in the world can He comfort us? He says He won't leave us comfortless. Who or what? And I'm trying to think like a disciple at this time. Who or what could possibly take the place of Jesus in our lives? I'm talking about literally with us. His presence with us. So sorrow has filled their heart. And they, they had spent three, the last three and a half years of their lives up until this point with the Lord Jesus. They saw the miracles. They, they ate with Him. They slept with Him. They, they were in private with Him. They were in public with Him. They watched Him walk on water. They, they were with Him. Morning, noon, and night. They really had left all and follow the Lord like a disciple does. And they were with the Lord. And they were, these are they that continued with Him through His tribulations. They were with Him all the way. And, and the Bible says, uh, John says when he writes 1 John, I'm just going to read from uh, 1 John 1 and 2, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He's speaking about Him and all the disciples speaking of Christ. We've seen and heard. We've seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifest unto us and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. The word became flesh, the Bible says, and dwelt among us. And John was one of the eyewitnesses. Absolutely no question. Probably of all the eyewitnesses on the planet, he was the most intimate eyewitness to the Lord in his, at His first coming and in His ministry up until the end. And so he's saying we, we've handled Him. We've seen Him. We've been with Him. He, the, he was manifest unto us. And now He's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to depart from you. I'm going to leave. And so Jesus says, back into John 16, where He says, I go this way and my way and sorrow has filled your heart. The next verse, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. What does that mean, expedient? It actually means good. So Jesus is telling him, it's good for you that I'm going away. It means good. 
to profit, better, advantage. So Jesus is trying to explain something to them that they don't grasp spiritually at this time. He's saying, I'm going away. I think they got that part. He's leaving us. Okay, Sorrow filled their hearts. But He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient. It's good for you. It's actually better for you. It's actually an advantage to you and for your profit that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And so, Jesus tells His disciples at the beginning of chapter 14, same context. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You know the passage. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. That's when Philip says, Lord, how can we know the way? We don't, we don't really know where you're going. How can we know the way? Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you, have you not known me? It, it, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16. And read with me in verses 20 and we'll skip down to verse 22. John 16, 20 and 22. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. He's talking about when he dies, okay, and goes to the cross. The world's going to rejoice, right? The world's going to rejoice. I kind of picture it like uh, they were mocking at the, at the cross, right? We're kind of finally getting rid of this guy. And it's like in Revelation, halfway through the tribulation, with those two witnesses that come from the Lord. When, when, uh, when the Lord allows them to be slain in the streets of Jerusalem because they testified of the Lord for three and a half years and did miracles and whoever came against them, fire would come out of their mouths and destroy them. But the Lord let them be overcome at a certain time. And, and the world was actually having Christmas. The, when those trip, the world's going to be having a celebration when those two witnesses are killed. Because they say these two witnesses that tormented us day and night. And they're going to give gifts to each other and celebrate. And while they're watching, three days later, the Lord's going to say, come up here. And those two witnesses are going to be raised up and have a little resurrection morning for themselves. And the world's going to see it. What Jesus says here in verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. I'd much rather my sorrow be turned into joy than my joy into sorrow. And the way it is with the Lord, we have things that are are trying. We have things that are tribulation. We have things that are hard. We have things that hurt. We have things that are confusing. We have things that are are long and hard and and wearisome. And God turns them. He's always going to turn our, our... our mourning into laughter, into dancing. He always takes us from the valley and lifts us up. Even when this life is over, it's going to be better. To, die is, to live as Christ, to die is gain. It's always better. The world is going the opposite direction. They're living it up now and, and there's nothing for them better in the future. When this little short temporal life is over, and it could be over for any individual now, okay, this second, there's nothing better that awaits them if they haven't given their life to Christ. The Lord says, 
the world's going to rejoice. They're just going to be rejoicing. And you're going to be sorrowful. They're going to be watching their, their Lord crucified. They're going to watch Him be arrested and taken from them. And be confused. And like sheep, they're going to scatter. And then we see the two on the Emmaus Road on resurrection morning. And it says they're sorrowful. And they're walking along their way. And, and Jesus comes alongside and they don't know who He is. And He says, what is this conversation you have as you walk by the way and are sad? They were downcast. That's what this is speaking of. But your sorrow should be turned to joy. The Lord always takes. He doesn't leave us in sorrow. We have times of sorrow. He's with us in the sorrow. But He doesn't leave us in those times. Even if the life is hard all life long, we have Jesus. He's turning that sorrow to joy. The world's going to rejoice, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Verse 22, And ye now therefore have sorrow, because He just told him He's going to go away. You now have sorrow. But I will see you again. And he's, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to get them to understand. I personally, I'm going to see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man take it from you. We're talking about a very simple truth this morning. It's simply this. And we started with in John 14, 18, where he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Okay? And so this is what this message is about today. And I will just ask a question. Is not, as believers, is not our joy and our comfort entirely bound up in the Lord Himself? In other words, in the presence of God. I can totally relate to what the disciples say. You're leaving us, Lord? Total, total sorrow. Shock and sorrow. Heaviness. Their hearts filled with sorrow. Because He's leaving. Okay? Our joy in our life is totally bound up in our comfort in the presence of the Lord being real to us and being eternal and being continual and being perpetual. His, the very presence of the Lord with us. God with us. Emmanuel. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Which being interpreted as God with us. His name is God with us. He is with His people. Okay, He is with His people. Is not our joy and comfort entirely bound up in that fact and in that thought? For the man or the woman who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in the Lord, could there, be poss could there possibly be anything more devastating to our lives than for the Lord to depart from us? Can you think of anything worse than that? I mean, going bankrupt. Or, they don't even compare. Can we, could we as born again people think of anything worse than the Lord departing from us and being gone from us? He's not with us any longer. We couldn't think of anything more devastating possibly uh, to our lives. Or could anything bring us greater joy than the abiding presence of the Lord? The nearness of the Lord. Remember Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He doesn't want us to be troubled. And I believe that the disciples understood the first part about this. I'm going away. But they didn't understand the second part where He says, I will come to you. I won't leave you comfortless. Your, joy, your sorrow will be turned to joy. It's for, there was a disconnect and they weren't quite grasping it. And again, we saw the two on the Emmaus Road. They were sad. They were walking along. Jesus, they didn't know He had risen from the dead yet. 
They'd even had a report from a few of the disciples, Peter and John, and from the women that went resurrection morning. He was risen from the dead, but they said, we haven't haven't seen Him ourselves. And they were sorrowful. And they were just done. We thought He was going to be the Savior of Israel. We thought, past tense, and it's like their hope was gone. They understood this first part about the disappointment. God wanted them, and He wants us this morning to lay hold on that second part. I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. And how is that even possible? How can one entity, God, be with all of His people at one time? And what's the big deal about that? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus Exodus chapter 33. We're going to read a few verses here. This is Moses leading the children of Israel and he's having this, the Lord speaking to him. Exodus 33, 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence. They're in the wilderness. Thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed, I will give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hivite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, Hittite, and the Jebusite. Okay, skip down to uh, verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And now here's the Lord's response. And he said, My presence shall go with thee. I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with with me, Carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. With the Lord, Moses was not comforted by the fact of of just seeing the miracles of God part in the Red Sea and all the plagues in Egypt and even manna and water from a rock. He was not comforted by the fact when the Lord says, I want you to take this people up and bring them to the promised land and I'll send my angel before you. That did not bring comfort to Moses. Moses says, Lord, I want you to go with us. Okay? I want you to go with us. And the Lord says in verse 14, and He said, My presence shall go with thee. I will give thee rest. And it was Moses got it right. He understood. He says, how would it even be known that we're the people of God, that we're separate from all the other nations? Is it not the fact that the Lord is with us? That God is with us? Isn't that what separates us? We're not going to look any different. Anything, you know, we eat and drink and build and raise cattle and all these things. There's nothing different other than the fact that you're with us. That Jehovah is in our midst. That Jehovah God is with us. And so we see this heart uh, for the people of God that they understand that we need the Lord. We need His presence. Our joy, our peace, our life is entirely bound up 
You know, when you start paring things down, what's essential in life and what's not, it can real quickly boil down to the bare essentials. And for the, for the, the man or woman of God, we know it's essential Jesus. The Lord in my heart, in my life, in a prison cell or in a mansion, okay, with a lot of friends or by myself, the Lord's presence is number one. Not knowing about God, not having my theology correct, that the very presence of the Lord with me, with me, Emmanuel, that is the most important thing. And so when, when our heart and our life has truly been made new in Christ, we love the Lord, y'all, and we love being with Him. That is something that increases. We sing songs like it gets sweeter as the days go by, right? We, we love being with the Lord. We love fellowshipping with the Lord. Nothing, and you'll see it. You'll just see it with men and, men and women of God that you read about. Um, you read their biography, their life story, and Amy Carmichael and George Mueller and all these people that you read about, that there's nothing more dear to them than the Lord. My communion with the Lord. My time with the Lord. That is something that ought to increase, and I don't think we have to wait till we're old seasoned saints for that to be that way. It can be for young people that we that the the nearness of the Lord, that communion with Him, that fellowship would be the sweetest thing in our life. Amen. Our fellowshiping with Him, how? In in prayer, in His Word. Walking with Him, talking with Him, listening for the voice of our Good Shepherd day by day and through all of our days. The promise of God's presence with us always and the keeping of that promise, okay, is everything to the Lord's children. It should be everything to the Lord's children. I want to read this Scripture if you're taking notes. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Okay, don't be covetous, be content with what you have. That sounds just like a practical type of thing. Here's the context it's in. As he, as, for he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That's how we can be content. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. It's everything to us. This is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling or sentimental thought that we get. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world or the end of the age. I'm reading some other scriptures here. Joshua 1 5. There shall not the Lord's charge to Joshua after Moses died. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Here's, here's the backing of that promise. Here's the force to that promise. As I was with Moses. As I was with him. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. You can, you can just sigh relief. Got it from here. The Lord's going to be with me. We got this. As I was with Moses, Joshua, all the fears that come into humanity, into our minds and thoughts, hearts. Look at the giants. Look at, he saw all that stuff too. He saw the walls of Jericho. He saw the rebellion of the people. He lived through it all. And, and the comfort and the strength came in one thought. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. 
It's the Lord's presence, y'all. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I won't fail you. Did Joshua ever fail the Lord? Probably at times he did. Have you ever failed the Lord as a believer? Have I? Absolutely I have. He says, I will not fail you, nor forsake you. I'll read another Scripture. Passing of the torch, basically, from David's getting old, he's about to die. As king, he's, he's anointed and God's chosen his son Solomon to be king. He's given a charge to his son. And David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord thy God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Sounds pretty familiar, huh? It's a theme. It's a theme of the Lord being with His people, for His people, not leaving or forsaking us. And I would just ask you the question, because this is our whole sermon in a nutshell. Does, is that, does the thought that the Lord never leaves us or forsakes us and promises not to, we read it in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, does that matter to us? It ought to. I guess is my point. It, does it matter to me? Or as I, as I said, is it just a warm, sentimental thought and we sing songs about in your presence, you know, and things like this? Or does it really matter to our lives in our heart of hearts, deep down? <coughs> because it ought to. The, the, the longer we walk with our Savior, the nearer we draw to Him and the more precious He becomes. Not just the things of God. Not just the blessings of God, which there are many, and I thank the Lord for them. I want all the blessings of God. Okay? But the longer we walk with the Lord, the more precious He becomes to us. And His presence becomes uh, cherished. The more greatly we cherish the presence, the nearness of the Lord. We count on that fact. We, we stand upon that fact. There's, there's a a joy and a peace in our hearts because of that fact. When the body's sick, when the finances aren't what they should be, when our country's not what it should be, when the church may be splitting and falling apart, or whatever's happening, that fact ought to, ought to transform our lives. Absolutely ought to transform our lives. I will not fail thee. As I was with Moses, I will be with thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It ought to matter to us. And the, the, more, the longer you walk with the Lord, you're going to learn if you're growing in the Lord, and I'm growing in the Lord, we're going to learn the, more, the longer we've walked this walk, the more dependent we are upon the Lord. You don't become less dependent. It's a funny thing. You become less dependent on the things of the world and the help of man. And you find yourself becoming increasingly more dependent. Lord, I can't do anything. I can't go work on the church and build a platform straight and get the board straight if you don't help me. I need you to help me. We become more dependent upon the Lord. I can't get out of bed and face the day if you don't give me the strength for the day. It's not depression. It's a realization that, that I need the Lord. That's a good place to be. And I'm less dependent on these other things. I thought they were essential. Five years ago, even as a believer, I thought this was essential to me. And yet it's gone away and I don't miss it at all. I never thought that would be something that would be paramount in my life. And yet it's totally out of my life and I don't even miss it. But I'm more concerned about the Lord and my communion with Him and my nearness to the Lord. David said, 
as he's writing Psalm 27, 4, he says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, right? That will I seek after. What? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be with the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord to inquire in His temple. I want to be right tucked up under His wing. Like Moses was in the tabernacle and Joshua was under His wing. That's where I want to be. That's what I desire. He goes on to say, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. It's not that they were going to forsake Him, but He understood. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord's got me. He'll take me up like a mother or father and hold me. And He understood this. And so, uh, here's what I I think maybe the, the disciples did not understand. They're sorrowful. The Lord's going away. He's going to leave us. But He says He's going to comfort us. How can that be? If He's going away, how can He be, still be with us? And the question is simply this. How is it possible that the Lord Jesus can go away and yet still be with all of His people all of the time? Not just the twelve disciples. Not just Moses or Solomon or Joshua. How can He go away we know He's seated at the right hand of the Father even now in power until He comes to rapture His church. How can He go away and still be with all of His people all of the time? He's not a God that's far off. He's a God that's near. Okay? He's a God that's near. And I know you know the answer to that, this, but I want us to focus on it today and the Lord wants us to, to focus on it. The way that the Lord can do that is by the Holy Spirit. Specifically by the indwelling of the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer. That's, that was perfectly in context with what Jesus was talking about. I'm going away. I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going away. I won't leave you comfortless. And I will come to you. And so the Holy Spirit, y'all, I know that you know this, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. It's one God in three persons. And the Holy Spirit is eternal. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, uh, uh, God created the heaven and the earth. And He goes on to say, the earth was without form and darkness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so forth. He's the eternal Spirit He is God. He is no less God than the Father or the Son. They have different offices. And I'm not the expert to know all the inner workings of the Godhead. But I'm simply saying this, that they each have a position and a relationship to one another. But it's one God in three persons. There's not one that's any less God than the other. My point in saying all that is that the promise of the Holy Spirit was not a promise that I'm going away, but I got this pretty good backup plan. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost. Okay? It's not me, but it's close. It's not what he said. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And I believe he's talking about not just the second coming. He's talking about these men during their lifetimes when he went to the Father 40 days after he rose from the dead to not leave them comfortless, that that answer was through the the present coming of the Holy Spirit in His fullness. And so, Jesus did not promise His disciples some second-rate substitute. 
a fill-in, okay? An interim or something like that. But He promised them the Spirit of the Lord. He's from, who is also called, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Maybe I'm not, we're not experts to comprehend it all, but I can by faith believe if the Lord says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And then His answer to that, fulfilling that, is the, is the Holy Spirit. He knows what He's talking about. Okay? And so, He promises them, I will come to you. Nothing less would have comforted the, Holy, the, the disciples. And nothing, else would, nothing less than Jesus Himself present with us would, would comfort us, would it? Okay, one day we'll get to see the Lord in heaven, but until then... We'll just make do with this Holy Spirit thing that He promised. That's not what. That's not the picture at all. And if you know the Lord, you know that's not the reality of it at all. Christ is present with us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Spirit of Christ, He is in us. It's not a far-fetched. We're trying to make this work. Trying to force this doctrine to happen. That is what it says. Christ in you. If the Lord be in you, okay? If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelleth in you. So it's the Spirit of the Lord in us that is Christ in us. I don't have to figure out how can He be at the right hand of the Father and in me at the same time and in every believer of every age across the planet. I don't have to figure that out. This is what He says. I won't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It is Christ in us, not a second-rate substitute. The Holy Ghost is in us. The Lord Himself is present in His people and with His people by the Holy Ghost. Through the person of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me back where we started. John chapter 14. A little further down. John 14, verse 25. Same context, same conversation. These things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you. So I'm telling you all these things and promises and what's going to happen while I'm present with you. But the Comforter. Does your Bible say Comforter? Does it have a capital C right there? Mine does. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. So nobody's left to wonder who and what the Comforter is. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto my Father, unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So he keeps, it's almost like he's being redundant, redundant. He's hammering this point over and over. I'm going away. It's good for you that I go away. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to leave you my peace. You're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. How is all that answered? We get the sorrow part. You're leaving us. How is the joy part? The, the peace that I'm, I'm not, I'll, I'll always be with you. I'm going to comfort you. It's, he provides that through the Holy Spirit. God has provided the Holy Spirit. Not a second-rate substitute. Not a backup plan to Jesus. Faith will end in sight and we'll get to see the Lord face to face. We'll see Him and know Him as we're known of Him. That is a great blessing. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying, but how are we comforted now? 
It's not a second-rate comfort. It's the Spirit of the Lord. It's the third person of the Trinity. It's the eternal Spirit. It's He is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And so I don't have to figure it all out, but it says in my Bible in verse 26, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. That means, uh, in the Greek, you've heard this before, parakletos. And it means comforter or advocate. He's rendered advocate in 1 John 2.1. Little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Same word. Christ Jesus, the righteous. And it means intercessor or consoler. Someone to console you. Someone to be your advocate. But my favorite definition of the word comforter, parakletos, is one called to the side of another for help or counsel. He's called to our side. The Father sends Him in the name of Jesus. I'm sending the Holy Ghost to everyone that knows my Son that's given their life to Jesus. He did it in the book of Acts. He did it repeatedly after that and He still does it today. The Comforter is that one. He's sent by the Father in the name or the authority of the Son, called to the side of another, that's us, for help or for counsel. Amen? For help or for counsel. And the Holy Ghost glorifies Jesus Christ. We say it all the time. The Holy Spirit does not glorify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, when the Comforter is come, Jesus said, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. And so I'm going to be bringing this this thought to a close this morning. The fact that the Lord says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will come unto you. I will comfort you. Is a blessing. And I thought, what other people can boast of that? What other people, besides those that know Jesus, can lay claim to such a promise? Nobody. What other religion has that promise? What other God talking about other false God, what other God has ever promised such a thing and then can keep that promise? It ought to, as I said earlier, be life-changing. That ought to profoundly affect our lives. The fact that for, for every uh, trial, every situation, for all of our days, for all times, for every uh, circumstance, whatever we go through, wherever life takes us or God takes us through life as His children, that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us always. No other religion can boast of that. No other God could promise it. Our God not only promised it, but He keeps His promise. He provides that for us. A couple of more Scriptures in Zephaniah 3, 14-17. I'm going to read it for time's sake. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see any evil, see evil anymore. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not. And to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save thee. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over thee with singing. I love this definition of midst. 
Okay, when it says the Lord thy God in the midst of thee. We think, well, okay, it means he's with us. Well, it does mean that, but listen to the actual definition. The, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee, that means among. Okay, like the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? It means nearest, not near. The Lord is not only near. When it says he's in the midst of thee, it means nearest. There's nothing nearer than the Lord. He's the nearest to thee. It means the center. It means the heart, the inward. It means finally within self. So when he says the Lord thy God in the midst of thee, it's not just the Lord's hanging around with us in our little group somewhere in our church. He's in the heart of it. He's in the center of it. He is in the inward part within self. Certainly within his church body and then within each individual church member that's truly born of the Spirit of God. Our Lord was with, and I'm closing with a few just, just encouraging thoughts. Our Lord was with Enoch. Enoch in the Bible, right? He walked with God, the Bible tells us. Our Lord was with the three Hebrews in the, in the fire. He was the fourth man in the fire with them. He was with them. The Lord was with Jacob when Jacob was scared of Esau and fled and was fleeing. And he, he, the Lord meets him in, uh, in Bethel, what he calls Bethel. He says, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. He didn't know it, but he came to know it. The Lord was with him. The Lord was in that place. The Lord was with Joseph in Egypt when he was sold by his brothers into slavery. It says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. It was evident to lost men that God was with Joseph and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. The Lord was with Daniel in the lion's den. And the lead said, testified of the next morning, the Lord shut the mouths of the lions. They did him no hurt. Why did that happen? How did that happen? Because the Lord was with him. He didn't have anything else he wanted or anybody else with him, but the Lord was with him. He was okay. He slept that night. Sleep is a precious thing, amen? He slept that night in a lion's den. One simple fact, the Lord was with me. It ought to change our lives knowing that the Lord is with us. The Lord was with me, Moses and the Hebrews uh, as they wandered through the, in many occasions as they were in the desert. And the Bible says that they all drank of that spiritual rock and that rock that followed them. And that rock was Jesus. He was always with them. Jesus was always with them. He was a pillar of cloud by day. He was a pillar of fire by night. And that fire was in the midst and they camped all around. He was in the midst of His people. The Lord was with the twelve disciples on the boat when the storm was raging and these brave men thought they were going to drown to death. He walked on the water. He said, peace be still and calm the sea. He was with them. And His presence brought peace and calm and safety and security and strength. The Lord was with John on the island of Patmos. He turned around to see the voice that spoke to Him on the Lord's day. And it was Alpha and Omega. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with David versus the Philistines and Rephaim 
when the Lord says, this time when you fight them, I want you to sit back over here by this group of trees. And when you hear the rustling of the wind go across the top of the mulberry trees, then you get out there and fight. Because the Bible says, for then shall the Lord go before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. The Lord was with David. He was with him. The Lord was with Joshua. Fear not, neither be dismayed as I was with Moses. I'll be with thee. There's not an enemy that's going to be able to stand before you. Why? Because I'm with you. How? Because I'm with you. That's how it's going to happen. That's all you need to know. This first battle will march around the walls and they'll fall when you shout. The next battle will do something else. But the fact of the matter is, I'm with you. And that's all that matters. One more passage. I want you to turn with me and read. 2 Timothy 4. Verse 16. And my first answer. This is the last little bit he wrote on this planet before he was martyred for the Lord. Verse 16. 2 Timothy 4. And my first answer. No man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Men will do that. I pray God that it shall not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. But he says, when everybody forsook him, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. We find this over and over. It ought to change our lives. Amen. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The fact that he's with us, we ought to boldly be able to say, that's what the author of Hebrews says, that I may boldly say, based on the fact that he'll never leave us or forsake us, I may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. We ought to be able to say that and mean it in our heart of hearts even now. Closing with the Scripture, y'all. I'm just going to read it myself. Y'all stand with me. We know the story in the Old Testament when, when uh, Balak, the king of the Moabites, and had hired this false prophet, Balaam, to come pronounce a curse upon Israel so that the Moabites could defeat them. And God kept turning the curses into blessings, basically. But Balaam, he was an unusual man, but the Bible talks about him as being uh, the heir of Balaam in a false way that he walked in. But when he was looking over, they're up on a mountainside, basically looking over the host of Israel down in the valley. And he says this, and we're closing with this, this scripture. Balaam says, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. He actually marveled at this. He's, he's about to try to get some money and pronounce a curse over him if, if the price is right. Uh, but he's marveling at the same time. He's saying, The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. That's how it ought to be in our lives and in this church. We're not some second-rate citizens. We're children of the King. A shout of the King ought to be among us 
There ought to be a fire and a power and a joy and a life in us. There is that the world doesn't know and it's based upon the fact that Christ is with us and in us. We're not just coming here in His name. We're coming here in His presence. And we're living and going out in the workplace in our schools tomorrow as a little miniature ambassadors for Christ everywhere we go. The Lord that God is in the midst of them, He says, and the shout of a king is among them. They're not going to be defeated. You do what you want. I can pronounce whatever curse I want. They're not going to... I mean, we can fall into sin ourselves because we choose to take our eyes off the Lord. But there's nothing in this world that can overcome us. The shout of a king is among us as His people. Amen? Y'all pray with me this morning.